Welcome to the Mindful Runner Podcast, a show about running and racing, trail and ultra in South Africa. Along the way, we'll be talking training, gear, nutrition, and mindfulness, all in the context of the South African racing scene. I'm your host, Fred Richardson, founder and head coach at Mindful Runner. Stay tuned as I do my best to give you all the information and none of the waffle. Today I'm joined by Justin Ulofsson and Anya Lowe, both ultra runners in their own right and mindful runner coaches, and we're going to be talking to you about preparing for Ado. Okay, guys, so we're going to start out looking at training for Ado. When do we start training? Do we start training three months before? Do we start training four months before, six months before? What's the ideal time to get going with your training schedule for an event like this? What do you think, Justin? Yeah, I think, Fred, I think the sooner the better. For most events, I mean, you want to set yourself a good platform. Say from about November, December, depending on the time that you want to run, um, I think you've got to keep that in mind when you actually want to get cracking. I mean, if you just want to go for a finish compared to, you know, running a good time, I think that that's a factor that has to play a role. So I would look on preparing for a race like this for at least looking at three months, if not more, put a little bit more time in. But I'd say a minimum of three months would, would probably be a good good way to look into this one. I think you're right. And Anya, at least 30, 40k weeks, yeah, before you even before you get to this three months that Justin's talking about. Yeah, you have to have a very good base. And I think the tricky part is that it's over December holidays. So um just know that that's flying ahead. And if everybody's sitting and eating their Christmas pudding um, and drinking their wine, you must just know the next day, get up and just keep your base at least steady. Yeah, the dreaded Christmas break can definitely mess with your training if you're not paying attention. Because, yeah, as you say, you kind of get to January and then it's, oopsie, the race is eight weeks away, 10 weeks away. And Okay, let's look at the stats on the course. It's uh, 44 Ks, 1,740 meters of elevation, 4% gradient. Not too bad in terms of overall gradient. DNF is 4%, so a lot of people finish this. And and Sean has said that. If you listen to the interview with Sean, this has got, I think there's a 12-hour cutoff here. So there's a lot of time to finish this. The men's record sits at 3 hours 38, and the woman sits at 3.57. Yeah, so between the, where the winners are finishing, uh, sort of close on 4 hours and 12 hours, there's eight hours more in which to finish the race. So a very doable ultra. And it is an ultra. I mean, Sean calls it the nappy dash. It's still an ultra. And it's still out on trail. Justin, you've been over, I know you've run 100 miles, but you know what that section is like at the front. There's a lot of rivers to cross, right? So how do we deal with getting through the water? Yeah, I think going into Addo, I think you need to accept that you're going to be running with wet feet. So obviously, you've got to you've got to have a good plan in in terms of foot care. Um, you know, it's it's not a case of after you've crossed every stream, just going and looking at changing your socks. You know, being able to know that you've got good anti-chafe where things don't go right. You know that you've got your anti-chafe with you. The other thing is about chafing and and you know. The blistering once it starts it's actually too late you know having a good pair of socks you know having good shoes to run in and, and knowing how that those shoes and how the socks and you know how your anti-chafe and stuff responds to running in the wet i think that would be something good to to have in in your arsenal when you go into that race um so yeah a couple of training runs where you go through a few river crossing if it's raining outside go and run i mean your feet are wet see how your feet respond to it 
I think if you don't know how your feet respond when they're wet, you know, things could go wrong on that race because there's a lot of river crossings in that first section. But, you know, when you get to Ellie's and you've got that climb out of Ellie's, Ellie's are sometimes a good stop just to have a look, check in and see how the feet are doing. You know, just, just being aware of what's going on, I think is very important because Addo has got, you know, a lot of river crossings and then it gets hot and underfoot is quite, it's quite challenging there as well. So, yeah, I think have a good foot knowledge of foot care um, and then sort of try and apply that on race day. Yeah, and certainly those river crossings, and I, I lost count, there's probably 22 between the start of the 44 and, and Eddie's. Some of them short and quick, but some of them up to as long as 50 meters, and you can't see the rocks underneath, and it's a bit slippery and a bit loose, so you've really got to be cautious through that section. I just also wanted to say on the foot gear, um, with Otter as well, your feet is wet the whole time. So what I did was even before the race, because I knew I'm going to run with wet feet the whole time, I um, put anti-chafe on my feet from the beginning. And that worked for me, you know, like uh, Justin said, to test it ahead of time. Go for a run, go through the wet and see where your niggles are. Also, the last point on the water, once you get your eddies, the water is over. So you might then want to put on your dry socks because you won't get your feet wet again. Anya, we've got 1,740 meters of elevation. The biggest climb actually is out of eddies. I think it's 4Ks and quite a bit of, it's fairly steep out of there. How are you going to train for that? How do you prep for that? Because up to now, up to eddies, the running is relatively flat other than the stream crossings. But if you're going to be racing this, then it's from Eddie's that the race really starts because now you've got over the rough stuff of crossing the streams and and the first big climb of the day starts. I think it's actually awesome that you can you sort of warm up before you eat the um, big climb. And then from there, you can, if you're strong in your climbs, then you know from there you can make a break for it. Um, and I would say, yo, you must go and find an appropriate hill close by on your trails that's also as technical because it's different than a tall hill. It must be a very technical hill. And then train it the way you would do it. So um, if your plan is to power walk it out, then you can power walk it out. But most of the time, you know, you train a bit harder than what you actually do on race day so that it's easy on race day. So, yeah, go as hard as you can and go and do some repeats. So hill repeats form an important part of the the training plan. And obviously, some short ones, some long ones, just to get the muscles working differently. Strength work, Justin? Yeah, I think for something like Addo, you have to, especially with those big climbs, you've got to make sure that you've got the right muscles firing there. So Addo is hard on the quads. There's some pretty steep downhills that hit you at Addo, as much as what you get the climb. So, you know, you want to have a a good hamstring and glute activation. So you'll have to get that into your conditioning as well. Yeah, the downhills at Addo on that 44K route, there's a few very, very steep downhills. And it's not your conventional um, sort of farm road terrain. I mean, this is four by four track. Um, There's a lot of braking when you're going downhill, even though you're moving fast enough. There is a a lot of braking that you're going to have to do. So to have well conditioned quads and and you know good hamstrings and glutes power for the climbs and to have good technique um, is is very very important so you know doing a bit of power training getting that power base in there as well is also very important so in the three months that for instance that you'd be training for addo focus on getting that base strength going and then you know moving to your sort of power training kind of moves to create yourself to be nice and powerful when you're moving up the hills because uh, yeah as you say you want to get up that hill as efficiently as you possibly can Downhill training. Are we going to do any downhill training? 
Yeah, I think downhill training for something like Addo is to be aware of the fact that these downhills are pretty technical. Um, and you've got a lot of sharp rocks and that kind of stuff that you've got going into Addo. So on your, your hilly routes or your runs that you're doing on the weekend, don't shy away from running down the hills. Um, you're definitely going to get them in there. So you, you're going to have to refine your skills on the downhills, um, building confidence, especially if it's something that you battle with and that you're struggling with. To combine sort of like your hilly routes that you do on the weekend uh, with sort of the strength training that you're doing then um, during the week. Um, so when you're going downhill, sometimes the body sort of tends to take over a little bit and being aware of where you're putting your feet and, and that sort of thing is, is important. So have that as a good background for yourself that you know that you've done enough downhill training. You know, when I look at heat training, so there's a couple of, of possibilities um, in terms of how to train for heat. And most heat adaption is only really necessary in that last probably four weeks before the event. If you live in a fairly warm place, if you can get to lunchtime runs, that's a good thing to be doing. Go and run at lunchtime, do your training sessions in the middle of the day. Um, and there is a, a heat protocol. If you can't do that, but you have access to a sauna, for instance, then do your, your morning run or your afternoon run or evening run, whichever it is, and jump straight into a sauna without rehydrating and build the sauna time up from 10 minutes to half an hour. And while you're in the sauna, don't rehydrate. Don't take on any water. Don't drink at all while you're in the sauna. And then once you get out, start that rehydration process. And the same thing. You'd also be doing this sort of three to four weeks beforehand in as many runs as possible. And that will build up your plasma levels uh, and help with the heat ad adaption. I would just say that don't be afraid of hitting those those afternoon sessions, those warm runs. It's not always comfortable and ideal to go out on a Saturday at 12 o'clock. But if it's going to prepare you best for Addo, I mean, that's what you've got to do. You've got to get out there and you've got to run in the heat. And I think the, the important thing is to understand how is your body going to respond to the heat. If you're used to training in the morning at ideal temperatures, um, not, nothing on race day is going to always end up being ideal for you. So, you know, get out there and do that 12 o'clock run on a Sunday or a Saturday when it's hot outside. See how the body responds to it. And then again, the thing is, you know, you've got to see how your body, how you're going to use your fuel when it's hot. Um, you're going to be drinking more water. You know, how much salt do you need to take in? So the nutrition side will then kick in as well um, when you're training in the heat. So those are things to to consider. So it's not just the case of, you know, get up and do the early morning runs. Addo, you got to tough it out. The stats don't lie. It's really hot there. Do the 12 o'clock runs if you can. Your your perceived effort of the run is so much, it feels much worse when you're running in the heat. So if you experience that beforehand and doing it in your training, then on race day, you know what to expect as well. You know how it feels and um, you know you can push through it, um, as Justin said. Yeah, I think you make a good point about the perceived effort as well, because once you, you your perceived effort will be lower because you're accustomed to to the heat as you as you work on it. So that's 44k. Like as a wrap up, you should start training for that three to four months away. Uh, you need to be coming at it with a base of like 30 to 40k's a week. The 76k. Speaking to Sean, he said to me that as far as he's concerned, the 76k is the tightest of the three. Last 44K is, is exactly the same as the 44K. It's just the beginning 32 that's quite different and apparently very technical. So if we look at the distance, 76Ks, 2,600 meters of, 
of climbing. Uh, the DNF rate is 15% don't make it, so much higher than on the 44. Uh, course record is held by Ryan Sands at about 6.54, so almost seven hours, um, and Nicolette Trifune, 8.07, so roughly eight hours on the woman's side. A tough course by all accounts. Yeah, it looks like that 76K course at Addo is front-loaded as well, so... I think when you have going into that that run, you've got to have a pretty good strategy of how you're going to deal with that first part of the course um, because it will get a little bit um, sort of faster as you get out of Ellie's climb and you get to the top. But I think how you manage the first part of that race, I think is going to be crucial to, to what your outcome is going to be. So I have that as a good uh, strategy as well when you're heading into that 76K race. Yeah, so hold back a little on the, on the 32 because it is technical. And as you say, once you get to eddies, then you can probably commit because all the technical stuff theoretically is over. I mean, you've got that last piece of single track at the end, but pretty much from eddies to the bottom of that last climb is, is very runnable, right, Justin? Yeah, no, it's definitely runnable. And the nice thing about eddies, it's a good place to sort of like hit the reset button if you need to. Um, you know, they always cater really well for you there at Ellie. So Ellie's is actually on a race like that, a good target to say, okay, let's let's get to Ellie's after Ellie's assess how you're feeling and then, you know, you can move on from there. So if you look after yourself well and you haven't burnt yourself out too hard by the time you hit Ellie's, um, you've just got to suck up that climb um, getting to the top. And then after that, it's it's some beautiful running that you've got at the top. And if you've got legs left, um, you're setting yourself up for a very, very strong finish. We talk about this often, how to approach running at long distance like this. Anya, what's your approach for taking on something, 76K, it just feels huge in your head when you think about it, especially as a first time. It's a long way. And now guys tell you, it's a tough 76. How do you approach that mentally? Break it down, um, usually from water point to water point and give myself targets there so that mentally I don't have to, on the day, do the calculations in my head to see, am I making cutoff? Am I still on time? It's already there. I want to mentally just focus on how my body's feeling. Am I eating enough? And not focus on the time. So if I I like having timelines right written down so that you can see at, by this time I need to be at the water at this water point or that water point. When you set up those timelines, would you have an A, B, and a C, or do you just have an A time? I usually have an A, B, and C so that you never know what happens on race day. So you always have a plan A, you like going for podium. Um, and then, you know, something goes wrong and you have to have a plan B and C, in my opinion. So I always aim for plan A, but then I know I have a little bit of leeway if something's not right. It's an interesting discussion for me because my own personal feeling is plan B's and C's tend to then become fallbacks when the going gets tough. So how do you resist not falling onto plan B when it gets a bit tough, Justin? Yeah, I'm a fan of having a plan A and then being able to be flexible off plan A. Um, so, you know, have, have, a, have a target and say, right, you want to get there at this time. You might not get there 100% on time each time. You never know. You might arrive there earlier. But it's to have that control to be able to adapt to, okay, um, I've arrived here 15 minutes late. Um, I've got to work a little bit harder to get to the next point. But also to run it on feel. I think that those the timing chart is there to give you an idea of where you are and what you should be doing. But at the end of the day, you've got to, you've got to work it on how you feel. If you're feeling good, you know, and you, you push to the next checkpoint and you you get there ahead of time. That's good. It doesn't mean that you're misbehaving on your run 
for instance. I mean, you, you, you might just be running well and things are going better than according to plan. I think having a B and a C puts it in the back of your mind. It might sort of flirt a little bit with, you know, your goals that you've set for the race. Then B suddenly becomes it comes into your plan and then C comes into your plan. So to be able to work off a of plan A and just be flexible and maybe just to give yourself sort of a time target. I mean, if you want to run a, a 26-hour addo, you know, go, go for a 24-hour uh, target. Um, be brave on that one and then work off that and then you know your 26 hours should fall into place anyway so yeah that's something you have to decide through your training plan how you're feeling because it's probably going to change you might start off training for Ado and say hey I want to run it in 30 hours and then you start training better and then suddenly you're like I want to do it in 26 hours so I think it's got to do with how you're feeling on the day you know just have a rough idea but don't stick too rigidly to that if, if, if things don't go according to plan yeah, I think this. Might, I mean, this might just be terminology, but but I, I tend to agree with with that approach as well. Is you have your plan, you know what the boundaries are, and then be flexible enough to make the changes that you need to while you're running, rather than a rigid A B C. And if I'm not doing this, then I'm going to do. Then I'm on this plan from now on because, as you say, you're going to have good times and bad times, and you want to be able to adapt as you're moving but what is important is that you have some sort of plan in place absolutely so at the start of addo i was falling behind on the 100 miler i was falling behind the pace targets but what was nice about the race is as the race went on i started to catch up and close the gap on the pace targets on the last sort of like 40 k's and eventually i ended up getting into my time a little bit faster than what was planned so anything can happen out there we had the boundaries to push yourself not to burn out and then, hey, things went well, and and then yeah, you ended up, you know, exceeding your your pace targets. So these things happen. It's it takes a bit of practice. Have your boundaries, but don't be afraid um, when you're out there. I like that because I I tend to start very fast, so I need a boundary. If in that example, to not start too fast, you know, start fast if you're feeling good or whatever, but don't start too fast so that you mess something up going forward so that would be the upper boundary okay then let's talk about the 100 miler this is the big one justin you've got a couple behind the behind your back you you know what this route feels like you've been in it in extreme heat uh you were there on the day that they that they called the race for a couple of hours right yeah that was um i think that was the race in 2020 um it got extremely hot that was that was some heat that I've never experienced before. Um, and uh, luckily enough, I got into the Valley of Tears before they called the race. Um, and I sort of hit that at the hottest part of the day. Um, but that Addo, Addo doesn't lie when it comes to its stats. Um, Addo is, gets really hot. Um, and it, it's that's what makes Addo, I think, a lot, a lot tougher on certain years will definitely be what the weather's doing. But equally, as hot as it gets some years, I mean, if you're going to hit that course when it's wet, I think that's a challenge completely on its own. Um, and then obviously this year's Addo was the, the conditions were a lot more favorable, but it was still hot. It was hot. It was humid. Um, it can be overcast in Addo, but you can really still feel the effects of the of the heat and the humidity. So heat is definitely a factor at Addo. It makes it a really, really tough 100 miler. That's where you have to use whatever water is available to wet the arms, wet the head. You can't pass up an opportunity to stay cool, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think with Addo, what was nice, there were a couple of water spots around where you've just got to stop, um, just, you know, wet yourself constantly, making sure that you're trying to cool your core down as much as possible. Um, so running on Addo, often I, I'd just run with a bottle in my hand and I wouldn't even drink from it. I'd just have an, a spare bottle with me. And as I was running, just, sort of, you know, wet yourself. Um, maybe even run that uh, that race with a, with a bit of a cloth or a cooling towel or something like that. Um, definitely something to look at with Addo, um, you know, where your skins try and keep as cool as you possibly can. And uh, yeah, and when you hit the water points, I mean, there's, there's, um, there's good watermelon and stuff out there as well. And when it's hot, that watermelon goes down so well. Um, you manage to digest that quite nicely. Um, so yeah, just make sure you're keeping your core temperature down at every opportunity that you can on Addo. Don't miss out on it. The 100 mile stats, we're looking at 5,640 meters of elevation gain. So again, around about that three and a half, four percent uh, DNF rate, much, much higher, 31%. Don't finish it, but that's kind of in line with 100 milers in general. And the course record currently is at uh, 19 hours 48 by Anton Julian. On the woman's side, 23.51 by Annelies Skoltz. And I think in general in South Africa, I think how people are approaching these races is slightly different. As the ultra scene is starting to grow, the guys are putting in proper training. They're prepping themselves better. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see the DNF rate start to, to lower down as well. Um, as the guys start to prep and there's a little bit more awareness about 100 mile running um, going on, which is really nice to see. I think in terms of prepping for a 100 miler, you need to be prepping six months out. You start the preparation for that event, but you can't, you can't just turn up six months before the event and start training. You also need a background of running ultras for at least a year or two before you take on a 100 miler. It's not a simple thing. Uh, Justin, what are your thoughts on when you start training for a 100 miler? I think you... You should definitely look at a minimum of six months. Um, so a minimum of six months into a 100-miler. Um, to give yourself the opportunity to prepare well enough to get the, the best experience out of the race. Um, you know, it doesn't help you pitch at these things and you're underprepared, and then it's a terrible experience for yourself where you miss out on the essence of what the race is all about. Um, and the better prepared you are for it, the more you enjoy it, and the the better the, the whole experience is. Um, so I think that's also very important. And yeah, you've, you've got to definitely commit to, to putting in six months of, of hard training. And you'll have a bit of ultra experience behind you. Um, have done a couple of ultras, you know, test out a 50 miler, see how you feel on a 50 miler. Maybe you don't like running a 50 miler at all. Um, maybe you don't enjoy the ultra distances. You think you might enjoy it, but you know, you get there and then you're like, oh, no, we really don't don't enjoy it at all. And then even worse would be just to sort of jump into a 100 mile and just say, I want to do 100 miles just so that I can finish it. But then have a bad experience about the 100 miler and then tell your mates that, you know, oh, no, running a 100 miler is terrible. But actually, it's not. It's just the fact that you didn't prepare for it that gave you that perception of what the what it's all about. Um so, and I also think, you know, to do justice to some of these races and, and you know, to promote these runs, the better prepared you are, you get the best experience. And then it's so easy to promote that race because you can say, hey, wow, what a cool race the Addo 100 miler was, for instance. So I think there's a lot of aspects to it, but you've got to put in the work if you want to get the best experience out of it. 
Yeah, I think you've hit on a key point there is the fact that if you're not prepared, most people can probably, if you've been running for four or five years up to marathon type distance, you could probably take on a hundred miler, but you're going to death march it and you're going to might be one of those 31% that doesn't finish because you're just not conditioned for it. So it's not that hard within the 35 hours to finish a hundred miler. But if you're just going to chase for the cutoffs, expect to be doing a lot of walking and not so much running. If you're properly prepped, you probably need to spend 10 hours a week minimum to get ready for a 100 miler. And that's in those last, so I agree, six months is the preparation time we need. But in the last three months, you need to be spending 10 hours a week running and you need to be accumulating on a weekly basis very close to 100 miles, at least three or four sessions or three or four weeks in which you accumulate 100 miles, right? And close to that elevation as well. Um, otherwise, as you say, you're just not going to enjoy the experience. Yeah, you're going to be able to tick it off and go, I did it. But it's going to be a terrible experience. I have a, a question. Um, these backyard ultras, um, it, I mean, it's a very safe environment to train for a very long time to train to run through the night. Um, is it something you guys would recommend um, as a training option? Or is it too different, the setup of you run and then you wait and you run and you wait? So I think on the backyard ultras, the backyard ultras with the, the way that they're currently designed around the 6.7Ks every hour, it's pretty tough to use that as a training environment. But I do think that circuit racing has a place in terms of you being able to go and try things out. So you race a 1K circuit or whatever the circuit length is, then you're not limited by having to start up every hour. You don't have that, I've got to cover 6.7Ks every hour. You can stop and you can start when you want to within whatever their time period is, 12 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours. And then you can experiment in a very safe environment in which you know, you're going past your own aid station every kilometer or 800 meters or whatever. So that's a really safe place to yeah to try that out to try it as you say check out your sleep strategies um and just generally get a feel for what it's like covering that kind of distance but the problem is none of them prepare you for the elevation you know even the backyard ultras avoid elevation so you're not getting that in and then you make another good point though getting trying to get ready for sleep so justin you've been through you've done some pretty long ones um, and you've done much shorter ones. You've been into the second night, right? Deep into the second night. Is sleep a factor? Is it something you think about? I think when you hit that second evening, I think things can change very quickly from an aspect where your brain is going to start telling you, hey, hang on, you've got into the second night now. Um, and that's definitely going to have an impact on your sleep. I remember the first 200 milers that I did when I finished in the evening. Um, that last, you know, like three three to four hours that you spent in the evening, um, it's really, really challenging to get through that. So, you know, can you prepare for it? I think it's a very good question because I don't think you're ever going to go into a training run where you're going to put yourself into that situation. Um, but I think, again, you need to prepare yourself for the fact that you might get to a point where you do need to take a sleep break. I think if you're underprepared for it, you're probably going to go in there and you're going to need to just, you know, take it easy for a while or get to 
an aid station and spend some time there and possibly look for a safe place um, where you feel comfortable if you do want to take a break like that. So if you can push through to the next aid station and then, you know, sort of, you know, take your 20 or your 30 minutes or whatever you need there, uh, rather than just winging it out in the bush somewhere. Um, I can't imagine that can be too comfortable anyway. So, yeah, I think um, sleep factor can come into it. Um, but then you're really putting your body into a situation where it's starting to feel stressed and, you know, then you've got to give even more attention to your nutrition and ask yourself why are you feeling this way? Is it, you know, are you just mentally tired? Are you physically tired? Where are you at that stage? Yeah, so there's very there's very little point in, in doing all-night runs to prepare you to deal with all-night running, yeah? Um, but there is obviously some use in checking out your headlamp and what it feels like to run at night. So would you suggest doing some sort of, of night training, Anya, if you were preparing for a race where there's where you potentially where we will be running through the night. Would you be doing some sort of night training? Definitely, yeah. Um and, and definitely test out your headlamp, the one that you will be using. Uh, in some instances, if there's a lot of mist or whatever, do you you also have a flashlight in your hands um to help with that, you know, with the lighting around the feet and stuff so to help you see better. Training, training at night for me has got a lot to do with your experience as a runner because if you know how to deal with the dark, it's pointless even putting night training into your program. I wouldn't even consider it for an athlete that's comfortable with it. I think there's maybe for some people, there's a bit of a fear factor involved in it. Like, what do they do at night? Can they run at night? I mean, I've had people ask me, how do you move at night? How do you run at night? If they've never been into that situation. But to do like running through the night or to train for long periods at night, you know, you might actually be looking for a situation where you could get somebody injured. I mean, if you're out on a night run and one of your athletes run is running at night and they fall and, and tear their ankle ligaments, um, for instance, you've got to ask yourself, you know, is it really necessary and was it, was it really worth it? So it's a difficult one, but I think people to do a short little session, maybe for an hour at night, that's fine. But to go longer than that, I don't really see there being much of a point behind that. Um, you adapt to that as you're moving at night anyway. So if you've got a good headlamp, um, it can actually be quite a, an exhilarating experience running at night. And I personally enjoy running at night. I get into a very comfortable space with myself and it feels like I'm in that little bubble at, at in the evening. So yeah, I, from a training perspective to run through the night all night, um, I, I don't really think there's much merit in that. Yeah, it's one of those where the risk is just not worth the reward. You, as you say, the, the chances of twisting an ankle, of rolling something, of falling is much higher when you're running at night and it just simply isn't worth the reward. So, yeah, I agree with you. Short, maybe one-hour, two-hour running sessions, testing out your headlamps, making sure the configuration works for you and then deal with it on race day. So one of the things you'll often hear about Addo is, oh, it's just run on gravel roads, kind of like you encounter on, you know, around the farms and stuff like that. But it's radically different. It might well be dirt road, but I think, Justin, you've run these roads. I've swept on them. It's certainly not smooth gravel, yeah? Addo is, um, is a 4 by 4 track. <laughs> it's not an easy 4 by 4 track. Um, it's There's places on that on those roads where... It can look open and runnable, 
but it's very technical underfoot. Um, you know, coming down some of those descents at Addo have got some really sharp rocks. You have to watch yourself. If you fall there, you can get into some, you can definitely get into trouble there. Um, so the nature of the gradient of some of those climbs at Addo as well makes it extremely steep um, on technical terrain and even worse coming downhill there. I mean, there's this, after you, you on the 100 miler, you get past your drop bag. Um, you've got a, a big climb up some pretty technical um, trail going up to um, Sean's uh, infamous hill that he's got up there. We'll leave the first word out of that, uh, that sentence. Um, and then coming down the back of that is extremely technical and it's sharp, hard rocks. Um, so it's by no means just heading out and running on your district farm road. Um, I think if people go in there with that sort of perception of what Addo's about, I think they're going to come second best. Um, Addo's very, very tough underfoot. Um, that's why, again, foot care is so important there because you're really stepping on some pretty sharp rocks. Your feet are moving around quite a bit. And some of those descents are very, very, very steep. It's it's very technical four by four trail. It's no by no means a district farm road for a hundred miles. Yeah, I've often said to people, it's almost like two single tracks alongside each other, right? It's not. It's that's what it feels like. It's like two pieces of single track alongside each other, and they're hardcore four by four single track. So, yes, absolutely. And and you know, on that technical terrain, you've got to have an idea of where you're going to put your feet and which lines you're going to pick going down the hill. So we often talk about it when you're going downhill, pick your right line, look where you're placing your feet um, and that kind of stuff. And that all applies at Addo. Um, you can't just go to that downhill and think you're going to, you're going to fly down it. You really got to watch where you're going and what you're doing. And, uh, you know, be careful not to to burn your quads out too hard. That race gets gets quite tough in the, in the last last bit and it's it's by no means a, a walk in the park it's a four by four section of proper proper track just to start wrapping up the one conclusion that i that i get from what we've been saying is in terms of strategy race strategy once you get to ellie's if you get there intact whether it's the 44 the 76 or the 100 miler if you get there intact and feeling good your feet are in good condition and you're feeling good you can really put the hammer down from there yeah once that climb is is done that's when you can put the hammer down yeah for sure that uh, that section at the top after you clear ellie's and you get up that steep climb and you you know if you can just grit it out there um you get to the top um and then you've got some beautiful running at the top and then going home is actually where you're going to make up your time on Addo. That's where things are going to can can really work in your in your favour. Once you've got through the Valley of Tears just before Ellie's as well, that might be a bit of a, a tough section. Um, but once you get to Ellie's, it's sort of like okay, now I've got to just get myself ready for the last bit going home. And if you're in a good shape there, you can have a really, really, really good finish um, at Addo and get up to Zuberg feeling good. Okay, <clears throat> so. Distance-wise, if you're prepping for the 44, you want to be able to start with your proper training three to four months out. Base in place by then should be 30 to 40 Ks a week. And then you should be able to get yourself ready for that 44. For the 76, you probably need 60 to 80 Ks a week as a base coming in. Um, And then accumulating up to as much as 100 this is when you want to look good for that event and then the 100 miler more on a time basis starting six months out 
10 hours a week in the last eight to 12 weeks um, as a minimum and make sure you get the elevation in as well of all the routes. So if you're on the 44, work on that elevation. It's the gradients that count, right? When you're prepping for these events, you want to make sure that you get the gradients in because although we, we're saying Addo is technical, it is still, it's a runnable. It's not the kind of course that's going to force you to walk a lot if you get there fit and strong. So one of the things that I, that I we spoke about earlier, um, Justin, you, when we were speaking about sleep, one of the things you need to combat is to not give yourself an excuse to go slower or to bail from an event. So things like going, oh, I'm feeling very tired, I don't deal well with sleep deprivation, becomes a reason to slow down or becomes a reason to stop. You don't want to be giving yourself too many of these possibilities. You know, you go into an event with a niggle, and if you are thinking about that niggle and you're voicing it, that becomes a reason to not complete the event often, yeah? I know. I mean, you've been into events with injuries. You've seen people running. Isn't that a thing that happens? You, you kind of dial into that negative space? Yes, it definitely happens. Mine usually happens in the middle of the race, somewhere in the middle, no matter what the distance is. Um, but what I do mentally is I imagine what am I going to feel like afterwards if I finish this or if I quit now? And, for example, I had another race where I uh, started strong and then I had a big part where, where it was mentally very, very tough. And I thought I'm, I'm going to stop. And then I realized I didn't come here to do 18 kilometers. I came here to do the full distance and um, I'm going to do it. It doesn't matter how long it takes. I'm still just going to do it. And then the moment my mental uh, space switches, everything just falls into place again. So that's my strategy. I always think afterwards, even in training, if I think, yo, this is a tough session, I think I'm, I, I want to cut it short. I think how I'm going to feel afterwards if I finish this or if I cut it short. Justin, anything to add? Yeah, I think, you know, there's that old saying when people say to you, oh, don't worry, you can do it. It's all in your head. But I can tell you one thing right now, that being phys physically prepared for something definitely makes the mental game a lot easier. So, you know, you want to go into a race and say to yourself, yeah, I'm feeling physically fit and strong. So when that tough part does get to you, you're not going to look for a reason why things are not going well. You're going to look for that little bit of extra spark to say, hang on, I can get through this. I'm strong enough. I can get through this. You know, I'm prepared for this. I can get through this. Instead of using it as an excuse to maybe say, okay, I'm, I'm calling it now. That's the end of it. So going into the race prepared physically and knowing that you've put in the work and your body is ready for this is going to sort out a lot of the mental game on its own. And when you do get into that place where you are feeling down, you've at least got the confidence to get through that moment. So, yeah, if you're physically prepared, it's going to make your mental game a lot easier. Yeah. You make a good point there. I was actually thinking about exactly that the other day. It is much – when people say it's a mental game, yeah, no, it's not. You first have to be able to – you first need to turn up prepared, then it becomes a mental game. Otherwise, there's no game at all, right? You, you're just not going to do it. Um, so then if you are prepared and things get tough, you have exactly that, that confidence to fall back on to know, no, I've got this. I can deal with the problem as it is. And you can push through because you're properly prepared for it. 
that's the mental side of it. Yeah, agreed. I also look at it as, as when you're in a race and the hurt starts to set in. But the hurt starts to set in later because you're pushing yourself. It's actually that that factor of knowing that you've pushed yourself, you've been physically strong enough to push yourself to this point. So how much harder can you now push to get through it? So yeah, there's so many good aspects and so many positives to being physically prepared. Yeah, okay, cool. So all in all, Addo as an event, 44, the 76, the 100 miler, whichever one you take on, it's definitely a worthwhile event. It's a magic one on the South African calendar, running in that bush, um, especially running through the night uh, for the guys who are doing the 76 and 100 miler. It's a really special space to be in. So train hard, work hard, and we'll see you at the finish line. As always, thank you for listening. If you want to know more about Mindful Runner, check us out at mindfulrunner.co.za on Instagram. You can find us at Mindful Runner. In the meantime, enjoy your running, happy trails, and don't forget to subscribe.